Well, good morning. <clears throat> Indeed, it was a, a wonderful time at the retreat. Um, Pastor Cody, who I've been acquainted with and now I uh, got to meet face to face as we, he and I have been encouraging each other over email and such for the past, I'd say, maybe a year and just praying for one another and to be able to invite him and him say he's available and to be able to come in and minister to the men um, and to sit under his teaching. It was indeed a blessing and an encouragement for me and I know for the men there as well. So it was a a, a good retreat. It wasn't necessarily very restful um, in some ways, but it was a time of reflection. It was a time of solitude as you could get away on your own for a little bit. A great time of fellowship and fun with one another. Um, and the, the food was, was good as well, up to my understanding from years ago. They've really upped their game. And so... It, we, we had a great time. So thank you for your prayers, those of you who prayed for us. And here we are. We have returned. And um, here we are in John chapter 11, continuing our study this morning. That was my introduction because as I was pleading with God to help me with an introduction, uh, I had blank paper, no matter what I said or what I did. So here we are, um, looking at a second uh, second sermon from John chapter 11. And let's just read some of these texts. Our verses for us this morning are, are going to be verse 4 through 16. But just reminding us as we learned about the life of Lazarus last Sunday. We learned about his life and what he did not say and where he was after the Lord did a, trim, a, a dramatic work in his life as, after he resurrected him from the dead and he was seated, seated down at his table. And then we saw the mood um, and the motivation of Martha and how that changed as the Lord worked in her life. And then the meekness of Mary. And we see and we found hopefully that we can learn from all three of these uh, people that are in the scripture, and Lord willing, we will learn even more about them as we continue to go along. The title of my message this morning is, But for the Glory of God. Look at verse 1 with me. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that, so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he, he will recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Lord, again I ask for your help in the preaching of your word this morning for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. First point is God glorifying. That is uh, our overarching theme, uh, the umbrella term, the umbrella point this morning is the glory of God or, or God glorifying. Uh, Jesus made it clear that this sickness was not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Lazarus, as we know, was very sick, which led to his death, and it's clear that he did indeed die. It says in verse 14, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. Martha recognized that he died in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But it is not a sickness unto death. That's what the Lord says. Meaning, the ultimate reason for the sickness would not be the death of Lazarus. This would not be his final end. There was more going on here than his sickness. Also, by the time Jesus received this message, Lazarus could have already died. Furthermore, by the time the messenger got back to Mary and Martha with Jesus' response, they may have been quite perplexed. It is clear that the Lord had purpose in this more than they all realize. This is but for the glory of God. To glorify God is to recognize and attribute to Him who He truly is and what He has done. A similar statement was made by the Lord in chapter 9 and verse 3. When the disciples asked who sinned sinned to cause the man to be born blind, Jesus responded, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was for the glory of God. And the glory of God is put on display several ways in these verses for us, in several ways in this account in chapter 11, just a few for us. Well, the most obvious way first that God was glorified was that when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, we see indeed his sickness would not lead to death. He died, but Jesus rose him from the dead. This showed his omnipotence. This showed Jesus's power. And just this showed his control over all things, including death itself. Secondly, the reactions and changes we see in Martha are quite marvelous. She went from serving to scolding to surrendering and to seeing God's power. As Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? In verse 40. Also Mary, who desired and already made it a discipline to be at the feet of Jesus, made it a discipline as it was her desire to be at his feet 
hearing his word would be the one who anointed the Lord with ointments in preparation and anticipation of his death and burial. Jesus would receive glory in all of this. She even understood more after Lazarus' resurrection that Jesus would die for his people, and she used what she had for God's glory. Lazarus' sickness and death was also to strengthen the faith of his disciples, of Jesus' disciples, which was also for the glory of God. Lazarus' life was, itself was for the glory of God. He died and was risen from the dead by the Lord, alive, a changed man, an illustration of one who has been risen in the newness of life in Christ, one who was dead in sin but is now alive in Jesus. Jesus goes on further to say, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So God the Father is receiving glory, and the Son of God will be glorified by it as well. This shows uh, Jesus's, uh, or the Son of God's, oneness with the Father. If something is going to bring glory to God, it is going to bring glory to the Son of God as well. So the goal is God's glory and Christ's glory. All will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. The Son of God was glorified by doing what was impossible for man, but only possible for God. Literally, raising a dead man from his tomb after being dead for days. The illustration for us as well that is piercing and prominent also raising a man from his dead state spiritually and giving him new life in Christ. It's only by the power of God that one is born again. It is only by the power of God that one comes to know Jesus Christ. And even a man who has been dead in his trespasses and sins for all of his life and walking in his depravity for all of his life into his senior years, can be saved by the Lord for the glory of the Lord. So our goal is, ought to be God-glorifying, to live for the glory of God. The overarching theme of our message this morning, the overarching theme of our life, our chief end, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And then we see that Jesus had some designed delays, some designed delaying. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And brother and sister in Christ this morning, Jesus loves you as well. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where where he was. So think about that. Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, but he stayed. He did not go. A sickness that would lead uh, ultimately to his physical death. When we consider someone is deathly ill or someone's on their deathbed, someone is really sick, do we hesitate? Jesus loved them. Why stay? Why not go immediately? 
Because God knows what is best for those who he loves. He knows what we need and when we need it. His timing is always best for us. His delays are designed. He is not delaying himself, but from our perspective, we say, wow, these things are delayed. This isn't happening as I would want it to happen. Consider how Mary and Martha may have felt or what they have, would have been thinking. Here's Lazarus and he's dead now. And what do we do? And if, if our Lord was here, only if he was here, this wouldn't have happened. We know what he has done with others before. We know he could heal. They realized he wasn't coming right away when they thought he would. Perhaps that has happened to us in our lives. And we thought Jesus would deliver us of a situation right away. We thought that we would get out of something in our life right away. We thought that this hardship, whatever it may be, would be done with right away. And it wasn't. Jesus could help this man, this this whole situation. Only he could. He could have healed Lazarus while he was sick. Mary and Martha believed that. They both said that to him. Now, verse 21 Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 32, Therefore, when Mary came where she saw where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. Remember, that's where she, you would find her often. She's saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. They believed in the Lord. They believed he could do mighty things. But here, their faith was going to be increased in time. Not only would Lazarus suffer sickness and die, but those who cared would also mourn his death. And they would be grieving. They would be hurting at this time when there was the dead man Lazarus there. But for the glory of God, the Lord had other plans. He had God-glorifying plans. God knows what is best for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and the disciples and those who would believe. And he knows what is best for us. Sometimes we think we know what is best and we have to get corrected. Sometimes it's not always a fun time getting corrected by the Lord. And he knows what we need. He knows what is for our good, what is for our sanctification. Lazarus was to be an instrument for the glory of God, so he had to die and be risen back to life. His life witness was important. In order for us to be instruments for God, we also must die. Die to self. Die to our ways. Die to the things of this world. We must indeed die and deny. If anyone desires to follow after Christ, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow him. Martha needed heart and attitude change. And God did just that for his glory. 
we're reminded that our attitude is revealed oftentimes in what we say and how we say it. Mary, as she was often at the feet of Jesus and she was desiring to hear more of his word, she was given even more illumination because of that, of who Christ was. He was glorified when she anointed him with ointment. And even Mary, who was at the feet of Jesus and was hearing his word and wanted to hear what he had to say, she needed to be taught more, and so do we. As we were reminded uh, Saturday by Pastor Cody's teaching that we need to grow up in Christ and not to remain babies in Christ, to grow up in the things of the Lord. God does things on His timetable, His ways, not ours. His ways are so much higher than our ways. Why did Jesus wait? Was it He could show a greater display of His miracle? So Mary and Martha could endure suffering a little longer? Or was it to show that Jesus was in complete control, fully submitted to do the Father's will, and nothing could thwart it? Not even the death of his friend. Nothing could thwart his timing, the Father's will, and his glory. We find other examples of this in uh, when he made water into wine. And his mother asked him something. He says, uh, well, I'm not going to misquote it. I'm going to read it. John chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, why does, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And then in John chapter 7, once again, Jesus teaching. His brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. But Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast, because my time has not yet fully come. Having these things said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up not publicly, but as if in secret. He's going to go and he's, when, when, when it's his time to go. No man is going to thwart that. So the delay is by design. Then we find here the testing and training. The testing and training of the disciples. And back in John, in verse 7, after he stayed two days longer, the place where he was, he said to his disciples, after, then after this, this shows us further delay, let us go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Leon Morris points out that the suggestion provokes an immediate protest. They were concerned, very concerned with this suggestion. They were concerned with Jesus' safety. 
because from their perspective, he was at risk and they were concerned with themselves as well. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. They were there. They saw this. They saw the hostility. They may have experienced some of that themselves. And you're going back there again? If somebody in, was doing something that we thought was going to be so dangerous, and they were almost killed, and they said, well, I'm going back. And we would say, what are you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You can't go back there. They must have been concerned with their own personal well-being as well, as some of us probably would have been. Before they realized that Lazarus was dead, they apparently seemed to try to talk to, talk the Lord out of going. A dangerous situation to walk into, but Jesus went anyway. They still misunderstood who Jesus was ultimately just as we oftentimes in our lives misunderstand who Jesus is. But there was testing and training in this. His disciples are, he's saying, let's go up there. What was their response? But then there's also tactical timing, tactical timing. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. 12 hours, a whole day. Their day was divided into two parts, day and night. The sun was out. You could see where you were going. You knew where you were going. They didn't have clocks like we did. We didn't have watches like we do. Of course not. They had a certain amount of time allotted in the day. And they, this was daytime, and we must get what we needed to get done for night is coming. This question should have provoked them to think and should provoke us to think. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Well, we all have the same amount of time every single day. We all have 24 hours. We don't have 23. We don't have 25, 26, 27, 28. We all have 24 hours. It's what do we do with that time? That is really the question. Are we people who seek to redeem the time or to waste time? Jesus had work to do, given to him by the Father, and he had to be about his Father's business. We also have work to do, that God has given us to do. And we ought to live in such a way that we are about God's business, not our own. Whatever work you are in, starting tomorrow, going in for the whole week, whatever occupation you have, do that for the glory of God. Be about your Father's business as you work with a heart given over to Him, a mind fixated on Him, and the understanding that we stand before Him and we walk and live before Him. We all have work to do for the kingdom of God as well. Even if we're not one who goes, we hold the rope for those who do. A similar statement Statement in chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then we see the second part of verse 9. The content in verse 10 tells us more of the deeper meaning here, as we'll find out, as we'll see. 
But we don't want to miss the applications regarding time. A.W. Pink says, God has allotted to each man a time to do his life's work. And no calamity, no so-called accident can shorten it. Can man make the sun set one hour earlier? Neither can he shorten by an hour his life's day. There is the old saying that either ministers to us or rebukes us depending on if we seek to redeem time or if we waste time and depending on how we then seek to live. An old saying, it goes like this. I've said it before. I have a plaque that was hung up in my office and I moved it to put something else there and now I haven't put it back up so it's behind my door. Ashamedly so. And it's a beautiful plaque that my wife got for me. So it should be up this week. I'll have to stand before you again and say it's still down on the floor. But it says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Think about the things we're living for this day. Or that we're going to do this week. And having this mindset that who are we living for and what are we living for ultimately? Ephesians 5, which we're going to turn to in a moment, but I want to read this for us. Then I'll read the the scripture and then we're going to turn back to Ephesians 5. But someone quoted this and I didn't write down who it was, so I can't give them credit. Uh, He said, you see, life is too short for us to do everything we want to do. But it's too long for us to do everything God wants us to do. Excuse me, it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. Let me say that again. Life is too short for us to do everything we want to do. And we could say, we, we, we could live that, we could say that, yes, indeed, that seems like it. It's so short, I want to do this, I want to do that, bucket list here, bucket list there. What about living for the glory of God? Right? We have to keep that in our, in our, in our heart and in our, in our mind. Life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. See, it's not about what we want to do in life. It's about what God has us and where he has us in life and how he wants to use us. Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk, Christian, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And we would look out our society today and we would see the news. We would see everything that's going on. We'd say, wow, indeed, the days are evil. We need to make the most of our time. And Paul says as well, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So our overarching theme is God glorifying and there's delays that are by design. And then in our life, we will find testing and training from the Lord. And then there is tactical timing. And we want to have lit up living. Lit up living. If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble. Because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Where is the Lord going with this statement? What does this mean? Well, I believe there's a double meaning here for us to be able to understand here from this. Guided by the sunlight in those days. 
plenty of light to see, plenty of light to walk in without stumbling. Nighttime came. Of course, they did not have electricity, did not have flashlights. They had fire, but they did not be able to just waltz around in the evenings like we could. There's a clue for us in verse 10, though, where it says the light is not in him. So where we get a meaning we, we take away from this, the spiritual application. It is very illuminating, pun intended. Jesus is the light of the world. When we walk with Him, we walk in the light. As He says, as the Lord says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in a darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Christian will walk in the light. When, he, when someone says, well, I'm, I'm just in the dark. I'm walking in darkness right now. Well, you better turn around. You better turn to the light right now, if indeed you are a Christian. 1 John chapter 1 says something for us as well this morning. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Familiar text for us. We use this early on in evangelism and is prevalent for us this morning. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you're walking in darkness this morning and you say you're a Christian, you're a liar. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here it is for us. This is the great hope. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And indeed, He does. We understand also that the Word of God is our light. A brother this morning mentioned this text. Psalm 119, verse 105, in the prayer time this morning, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can see when we walk in the light, in obedience to Christ, in communion with Him. Ephesians, I said we were going to go there, and now is the time. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 8. Let's start in verse 6. Excuse me. Chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Christian, this used to describe us. We were formerly darkness. Chapter 2 says we were walking in darkness, but we indeed were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. 
trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of what? Of, of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is, it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him, John says. And we recognize, as we see here in Ephesians, uh, who walks in darkness. Those without the light of life. Those are who walk in darkness. Unbelievers, this is a way of life to walk in darkness. Yet this is searching in the heart of the Christian as well. Do you sense darkness in your heart? You know, we talk about dark times. We talk about sorrowful times and we feel like there, is, there was darkness in us. Do you sense darkness in your heart? Is the light of, of the world eclipsed in your heart due to sin? Due to lethargicness? Are you stumbling through life today? Backslidden or growing cold towards the things of Christ? Is your vision clouded to where you cannot see light? Perhaps your attention is not on the light, but on something or someone else. We need to seek Him while He may be found. As Leon Morris puts it, make most of the presence of Christ. Make most of the presence of Christ. So we want to live in a God-glorifying way, knowing that delays are by design. Knowing that there is testing and training that we must endure. And there is tactical timing. God's timetable. And we want to have lit up living. Not walking in darkness. But walking in the light. And then we have deliberate dying. We want to be deliberate about dying. This he said. After that he said to them. We see further delay. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Death is something referred to in the scriptures at times as, for the believer, as sleep. Now, when we say we're going to sleep, we know what that means. We say, okay, we're going to sleep. Some of you may sleep so soundly that it's not easy to wake you up. And it's like trying to wake up a dead man. Sometimes that's true of us if we're really tired, if we didn't sleep much the night before, and then we're dead to the world, we say. And we just crash, we fall asleep, and to wake us up, you might as well um, just get a cannon. But death is something referred to in Scripture as sleep for believers. A.W. Pink says, death is simply the portal through which he passes this scene from sin and turmoil to the paradise of bliss. The sleep of death is when a believer in Christ dies and goes to be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4 
has something for us this morning in verse 13. As Paul was saying to those in Thessalonica, excuse me, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. We'll see this word asleep over and over again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. As Stephen, when he was being stoned to death in the book of Acts, he's described as being one who fell asleep. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of those who have fallen asleep in Christ. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Still trying to get out of this. He's just asleep. He'll recover. We understand he's sick. He's asleep. He'll recover. But they were thinking literal, natural sleep. And they didn't have to go there if that indeed was the case. They were taking his words very literally, yet they were meant metaphorically. And we see this elsewhere in the Gospel of John as well. Jesus said to them plainly, and it's plain to us, Lazarus is dead. It has taken place. Aorist tense. It's done. He is dead. And he says, I rejoice that he died. I'm glad he died. Why? How could he be glad that, that, this, that this Lazarus died? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, says the Lord, so that you may believe. He had reasons for this. Reasons beyond their comprehension. Just as God has things he does in our life that are beyond our comprehension, but it's for our good. This was for the glory of God. They were believers in Christ. They were his disciples. But their faith needed to be strengthened. They left everything to follow Christ, but they needed to be strengthened. The time of testing was coming. The time to be tested was coming. And we see how they responded We'll find out sometime. Morris says once again, there are new depths of faith need to be plumbed. New heights of faith to be scaled for them. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. It's unusual to hear Thomas say something like this, to hear Thomas 
take the lead role and saying, this is what we're going to do. Let us go. Let us go also so that we may die with him. We notice Thomas usually as doubting Thomas in the end of the Gospel of John. Here's what Richard Phillips says. It is good accordingly to see this act of leadership and courage. In a way, it fits his doubting. For it is a gloomy saying and not marked out by any abundance of faith. In a sense, too, it is expressed more than, than Thomas could perform. When it came to the point, Thomas, like all the others, forsook Jesus and ran away. Nevertheless, we should not overlook these brave words. Thomas looked death in the face and chose death with Jesus rather than life without him. His words, in the manner of John, may also have a further meaning. They should probably be read in the light of chapter 12, verse 24 through 26. The follower of Christ must die if he really wants to live. John 12, 24 through 46. As Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then, of course, Matthew in chapter 16, I invite you to turn there, speaks of the, the costliness of discipleship, the costliness of discipleship. As we consider our life to be lived in a God-glorifying way, and we know that there's delays that are by, by design, and in our life we face testing and training, and the timing is tactical for us. And we want to live not in darkness nor walk in darkness, but in the light. We want to have lit up living. And deliberately we must die. Die to self. Discipleship is costly. Chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. For everyone in here, have you counted the cost of following Christ? Are you walking in the light of Christ? Let us pray. God, that we would indeed take away this day from your word. That we are to live in a God-glorifying way in all that we do and 
recreation and rest and work and ministry. Oftentimes, Lord, things do not happen on the t- at the times we think that they should. But Lord, your timing is always best when there are delays and then ultimately something happens or a prayer is answered and then we realize on the tail end of it why the delay and you have been so kind to us and then we are uh, able to see the silver linings that you show us. And there's certain times and seasons of our life, Lord, and you that are there for us and you minister to us each and every moment of the way. God, and you have given us your word to where your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We can have living that is lit up, not walking in darkness, but illuminated continually. As Mary sat at your feet, hearing your word, desiring to hear more, let us uh, be the same, Lord. Let us die to self deliberately, daily. Take up our cross. Follow after Jesus Christ. He is worthy to be praised. Worthy to be followed. Perhaps there are some in here, Lord, who have not turned to Jesus from their sin. Who have not trusted Christ as Lord. Not bowed the knee to the Savior, Jesus. God, that You would work in their hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.